Okay, Jesus is Lord. This is Dr. Ruth moving on with the teaching today. So we move on to verse 27. The Lord Jesus begins to teach on adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh boy, this is a high tower. (laughs) Jesus is really changing the standards here. He is saying that just looking at a woman with a lustful desire, this is referring to a woman you're not married to, that is sin. Why is that? Because a lustful desire can be defined as an insatiable, selfish hunger for pleasure, sex, power, prestige, or recognition. It's often a fleshy lust which is ungodly and can lead into acting out temptations and can lead into full-blown sin and problems. So the Lord is saying that just lust is really, it's a sin. Because all sin, all actions of sin begins with a lustful desire. Again, taking us back to our heart intentions. So we can harness our thoughts. We can have control of our thinking processes. So we can capture those lustful imaginations and refuse to dwell on them. And that way we don't act on them. Which is why it's so important to deal with some of these issues at a heart level. That is really what the Lord is saying. So in essence, the Lord is teaching us that when people commit what is called mental adultery... It's sin. Oh, yeah. Mental or emotional adultery, what they call them. What do I mean? There are people who are married. Mm-hmm. And even though they are not divorced, even though they are not physically involved with another woman, but their thoughts is always about the other woman, somebody that they are desiring, someone that they have this lustful desires towards. Even though you've not really acted it out, Jesus says it's a sin. You should stop that before you go act on it. And I've often heard some people say, well, since the Lord said that lustful desires are sins, I might as well act it out. No, don't do that. That is worse. Really, if you're struggling with lustful desires, what needs to happen is separate yourself from whatever it is that is causing you the lustful desires. If it's pornography, stop looking at the magazines. Today, in the church, unfortunately, men and women equally are struggling with pornography. We should just stop exposing ourselves to images of pornography. Really. So that we don't act on it. Okay? So going back here, uh, where was I? Jesus goes on, you know, I'm going to just pick it up again here in verse uh, 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29. If you're right, see, the Lord Jesus is going to, is going to give us suggestion how to deal with the lustful desires. <laughs> if your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you 
or than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You know, the Lord is not saying that you have to literally cut your eyes out or gush out your eyes. What the Lord is saying here is teaching about the severity of sin and how to sever yourself from whatever is the source of the sin. Remember, I was just talking about that. If it's pornography, go and throw away all the magazines and just burn it up. It's not worth it, really. And Jesus is, that's, that's what he is saying here. It's not worth it for you to end up in hell. Let go of the sinful practice. Okay, so again, it is not the literal gorging of the eye. He is teaching the severity of severing yourself from the bad company that leads you into committing sin, severing yourself from whatever is enticing you to commit sin. Cut away, run away, get away from it, separate yourself from it. That's really what it is. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. The same thing. Sever yourself from the thing that is causing you to sin, the temptation or the friends that are enticing you to sin. Sever yourself from that. Cut off from the lustful desire. Separate yourself from that. And save yourself from the heartache and the pain of, 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 uh, of just sin. Okay? Today, if you are a true, genuine believer of Jesus Christ, he has already made provision to cleanse you of sin. So if you are practicing sin, you have power through the Holy Spirit to repent and stop. And just ask the Holy Spirit to help you walk away from that. You can do this. On your own effort, you can't. But as a believer, you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And if you truly are a believer and you're practicing sin, Jesus is not saying you're going to go to hell. Because he has already died for the sins of the world. Sin, practicing sin is not going to take you to hell. But you're going to get it sooner. <laughs> what do I mean? You see, the issue with God is not sin anymore. Sin has been dealt with on the cross. What's the issue here? When you are practicing sin, hmm, you will block the blessings and the presence of God in your life, and you will open the door for Satan to come into your life to kill, steal, and destroy, and God will allow it, and that will kill you prematurely. I'm talking about physical death. You may die before your time, because of sin and because you allow the enemy to take you out. But, but that is not God punishing you. God punishes nobody. You would have brought that unto yourself because of disobedience. Okay? But if you are an unbeliever and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're living in sin and practicing sin and then you die, unfortunately, you will go to hell. Okay? So we move on here to verse... 31, Jesus will begin his teaching about divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone 
who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Self-explanatory. Couple of things I want to highlight here. In context, we just came from the Lord's teaching about adultery, about lust. What the Lord is saying here is that the one ground for divorce is sexual immorality. And in the original language, Greek, that, that, that translation there, sexual immorality implies a lifestyle of sexual immorality. So Jesus is not saying that when your spouse is caught in sexual immorality, the first thing you have to do is right away go divorce them. No, 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 no. Listen. There is always room for forgiveness and for reconciliation and for working out the differences. But the, the, the principle here is that Jesus is discouraging divorce because what the Lord is teaching is that you cannot just get up and have a lustful desire for another woman and turn around and tell your husband or wife, I am divorcing you. You see, you have to put this in context. So if you put this in context, coming from his teaching about lust, these are things that used to happen during that time. And these things are still happening today where people just develop this lust for another woman or another man. And they just get up and file for divorce. The Lord said, no, that is not acceptable. Only for sexual immorality, sexual immorality here implies a lifestyle of sexual immorality. So the Lord was just making divorce difficult. People should just not get up and go file for divorce. All right? So that is a con uh, context there. Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth, friends. I'm glad you are with me today. You know, I want to remind you that God is a giver, right? I'm sure you are aware of that. Likewise, God wants us to bless his work. So as you have been blessed by these teachings, I ask that you open your heart and bless us back with a financial donation so we can produce more of these teachings and pay for studio time because our heart desire is to reach more people. We don't want finances to limit God's work, but God depends on you, his children, to give back into his work so we can do more and reach many, many uh, more people about the gospel message of Jesus Christ and allows these teachings to transform their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches clearly that God loves a cheerful giver. So today, would you consider being a cheerful giver? Because God is going to be certain that you are blessed abundantly. Okay, here is what the Lord says out of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. I want to read this to you so you're encouraged to give because it will be a blessing to you. Let's go over this. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is a promise, friend. As you give into God's work, as you bless us with your financial donation, especially as we know these teachings are blessing you, 
and you stand on God's promises such as what we just went over 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, God is faithful. God will bless you back abundantly, exceedingly. You're going to enjoy the peace of God. You're going to just have a sense of joy knowing that you're partaking in God's work and spreading the gospel and transforming lives. God will bless you back. So friend, open your heart to give into this ministry so we can reach more people. So here are some ways you can donate. We have a very safe and secure website. All you need is internet access and you can donate anywhere across the globe. Here is that address, drruthtanyi.org slash donate. Again, drruthtanyi.org slash donate. And if you live here in the USA, we do receive donations through Zelle. Here is that Zelle telephone number, 909-501-9031. Again, that number again is 909-501-9031. And then we accept donations through Cash App. And the address there is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Friend, I thank you in advance for opening your heart to give into God's work so we can pay for studio time and produce more teachings to bless many others and spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We thank you in advance. And you can be certain that God will bless you back abundantly, exceedingly. So here is the teaching. Moving on to verse 33, again, the Lord is going to be teaching about oaths. Verse uh, 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. We cover this in the book of Leviticus through the Mosaic law, that if you made a vow to the Lord, you have to fulfill it. So the Lord Jesus is going to give us a better interpretation of that. Uh, verse, uh, a, a, a deeper rather uh, interpretation. Verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. Verse 36, And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What is the principle here? Listen, the Lord Jesus is saying that, again, going back to the heart. As Christians, we have to be firm when we say something. We should not just say or make commitments thoughtlessly. We really have to be the kind of Christians whereby we are believable. When we make a commitment... People just believe us because we have proven through our lifestyles as followers of Jesus. We don't have to make a commitment to say, I promise, I swear. No, no, no. You don't need all that. You have to be believable. So the Lord is saying, you don't need all that. Just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Just make a commitment and do it and follow through and think before you commit yourself Just say a word and follow through. You don't need to support your word by this and this. You have to be believable. Bottom line, before you make a commitment, think. Mm -hmm. 
Unfortunately, today we still have people who make thoughtless commitments. Think before you commit yourself. That's really what the Lord is, is uh, teaching here. And be believable. All right. Going on here to verse 38. The Lord is going to give us a deeper revelation or understanding of the law of retaliation, which was uh, taught in the Mosaic law, the book of Deuteronomy, eye for eye. Okay, which means that uh, the punishment should fit the crime. So let's proceed here, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That is the law of retaliation, meaning that the punishment should fit the crime or the crime should fit the punishment. Same thing. Verse 39. Here is uh, the Lord Jesus giving us a better interpretation of that law. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Boy, <laughs> this is tough. You can only do this through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. So what the Lord Jesus is saying is that, listen, you don't have to punish someone in the same way they hurt you. He is giving us a better interpretation of the law of retaliation. He said, treat people with love, with compassion. Okay? Uh, going back here in verse 40, and if anyone wants to sue you and take off your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Jesus is advocating peace. And verse 41 there says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus is really teaching us how to love people, how to live at peace, how to not retaliate against people who hurt us. How to live a selfless life. Earlier, he had mentioned there in verse 39, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. He is not advocating abuse. He is just saying that, listen. You trust me. We should trust God to vindicate for us. Our job is to walk in love, to walk in peace, and really to just have compassion for others. We don't have to retaliate. We should trust him to do the avenging for us. This is a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own effort. How can someone slap you on one cheek and you turn the other cheek? You can't do it. How do you walk away? You can't, only if you allow the Holy Spirit to do it through you. So Jesus is not asking us to do something that is impossible. No, as Christians, our lives have to be supernatural. What do I mean? We have God, the Holy Spirit, living in us to enable us to live like this. So when we are being, or when we are being attacked, or when we are hurt, we don't have to revenge or avenge ourselves. We just have to say, Holy Spirit. Walk through me. Help me to walk away from this. Help me to forgive this person. Help me to turn away. And the power of the Holy Spirit will flood over you 
and you will overcome. But without the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and you obeying and allowing the Holy Spirit to do it, this is impossible to do. Okay? So that is what uh, Jesus is saying. And even the next verse here, Jesus makes it even more impossible <laughs> to do in the flesh. Do you see how these teachings are so opposite from the teachings of the world? What does the world say? If you hurt me, I hurt you back. But Jesus says, no. If someone slaps you, walk away. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. This is, this is the expectation of Christians because it's the Holy Spirit doing it through us. Verse 43, Jesus is going to tell us about loving our enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Who? <laughs> Isn't this something? Again, you can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse uh, 45. And you know what? Let me say something here. I was listening to a Christian radio show once and a guy called in and he was struggling with this commandment by Jesus. And he was like, this person has really hurt me. This was a radio show whereby people could call in to ask questions from the pastors. And this guy called in and he was struggling with this teaching here by the Lord in um, chapter 5, verse 43 here out of the book of Matthew. He said, you know what? I have this person who has really hurt me and I'm really hurting. And the Lord Jesus said we should pray for our enemies. I don't want to pray for him because I am concerned that if I pray for him, God would answer his prayer and not help me. <laughs> I laugh. And you know what? That is the natural human tendency to want to defend ourselves and self-preservation, but that is not the truth. When we pray for our enemies, it shows, number one, obedience. It shows humility. And guess what? God is just. God will appease you. God will avenge you. God will comfort you. And the moment you start to do that, that hurts that stronghold that that person has placed in your heart that has hurt you so much will start to dissipate. It will start to leave you. You don't have to worry whether or not God is going to answer the other person's prayer. You let God deal with that. This is you and your relationship with God. So when you pray for your enemies in faith, you are believing that, believing that the power of God will start to touch you and healing will begin then. Because you will be in obedience and God will avenge you. God will restore you. So don't worry about the other person. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. That's all you do. And you trust God with the outcome. God will avenge. Okay? 45, verse 45. Uh, okay, let's, let me go back and pick it up in verse 44 so it makes sense to you but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that this is verse 45 that you may be children of your father in heaven there you go i just explained that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous 
and the unrighteous. So true. God is love in his core essence. He loves everyone, but not everyone loves him back. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good for the believers and the unbelievers. You know why? Because God is love. But the difference is that God has a covenant relationship with the believers through Jesus Christ because we are the ones who have accepted Jesus Christ. So we have favor. We have his grace. We have special blessing and anointing because we have entered into a relationship with God through Christ. But the unbelievers don't have that. But God is love. Love is unconditional. He loves everybody. But we have his favor and grace. So we should remember that at one point, some of us were unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And it is because of the love and grace of God that we were able to become followers of Jesus Christ. So praying for your enemies, if you keep that godly perspective, it helps. Okay? Verse uh, 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Isn't that true? <laughs> that is self-explanatory. And not even the tax collectors doing that. Tax collectors here, referring to sinners, remember? I said earlier that tax collectors during Jesus' days were considered sinners. Or today you would say, are not even the pagans or are not even the unbelievers doing that? Mm -hmm. Meaning, loving just those who love them? Verse 47, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? So true. Mm-hmm. Do not even pagans do that? So true. Wow. These are powerful, timeless teachings. What good is it, in other words, for you to just love Christians? Jesus is saying that that is no good. Show love to everyone because God is love. In context, the love of God, his goodness shines on everyone. Likewise, as Christians, we should walk in love and love everybody. Believers, and unbelievers alike. Today we have Christians who will tell you, oh, I only want to work in a Christian business. Boy, that is so selfish. How do you know if that business that is by an unbeliever is where God is calling your light to shine and to bring some of them into salvation? You see, we really have to just walk in love and trust God with the rest. Verse 48, Jesus Ended up this by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. The perfection here, Jesus is not expecting us in our flesh to be perfect because we are, we are human beings with sinful natures, even though we have a relationship with God through Christ and we have the Holy Spirit walking in and through us and we should not be practicing sin, but we are still not perfect human beings. Only one person who was a human being, was and is perfect, Jesus Christ. The key here is that walk in God's righteousness. Walk in the light of God and you allow the Holy Spirit to shine through you, then you would be exuding or manifesting God's perfections in your actions. In Jesus' name, I hope you received that. That has brought us to the end of chapter 5. So... What are the major principles 
and applications we have learned from this powerful, intense, rich chapter 5 here out of the Gospel of Matthew. Number one, major principle. God's way of living means that we deny worldly or fleshy ways of living. Right? We just learned that Sermon on the Mount. Such as loving your enemies, turning the other cheek. These are things that are done supernaturally through the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Second major uh, principle here, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We, referring to his true followers, we represent the light in the world and we are the salt in the world. We talked about that, right? And the Gospel of John teaches us that the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we, as children of the light, we are here to preserve the world, and we have the Holy Spirit in the world and in us, preventing darkness and bringing many people to the light. And the third major principle here is really... We have learned from uh, chapter 5, the Beatitudes, how to live as a Christian if we want God's blessings to chase us. You see, this is something that we have to adhere to. Intentionally practice these teachings of Jesus Christ and then God will just bless us effortlessly. And the application is obvious. Practicing the word of God is what brings the result. Mm -hmm. I cannot stress this enough. Because you have Christians who are faithful in going to church. Faithful in studying the Bible. But they just don't act. Even the devil. I'm sorry. The Bible tells us that even the devil knows the word of God. He just doesn't obey. So we are useless. I'm sorry. To God. If by faith we don't practice what he teaches. So if you want to live the blessed life that Jesus Christ came here to give you, you don't have to figure out this thing. Just stand up, get up every day, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Just say, Father God, I present myself to you today as a living sacrifice. Holy Spirit, walk through me. Strengthen me to just live in accordance to your word. And you just practice these things that Jesus Christ said. Forgive people. Don't badmouth people. Don't carry grudges. Surely, just be joyful. Be joyful. Go to work and just have some joy. At least you're not going to hell. You're a Christian. My goodness, if you believe that, it's enough to be joyful every day. Wow. Just, just have some joy in your life and guess what? People will be attracted to you and you will be blessed. Okay, we are the last hope of the world. People are suffering. People are truly suffering, but they put on a front. When you go there with true joy, people will start to desire what you have. They would want to know about the source of your joy. That will open an opportunity for you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. People are just waiting for someone to show them a different way. And today we have this false notion going on that Americans have heard all about the gospel. There's no use to preach the gospel. That is a lie. 
Many people might have heard about Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus is. They might have heard about Jesus, but they have not really seen anyone truly walking in the light as Jesus. Maybe you are that person to walk in forgiveness, to walk in joy, to be a good steward at your job. Maybe you are that person that God has called. So remember that every door that God opens to you in this dark world is an opportunity for your light to shine. People are waiting, okay? We are the hands and feet of Jesus. So if you want God's blessings to chase you, if you're thirsty for God's word, you are blessed. All you have to do is live it out by faith and trust the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, God is faithful. God is faithful. And you will start to experience the blessings of God in your life. And you will be blessed and God will be glorified. In Jesus' name, I hope you receive that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these timeless teachings, Father. We cannot do this on our own. So we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit that is indwelling all of us that have accepted Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are your children and you have sent your Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Holy Spirit, we thank you that today you will teach us how to walk by faith, how to obey the laws of God, because on our own effort we can't do it. So we are dependent on your supernatural anointing to help us to walk in the light so we can bring many to the kingdom. Father God, this is your will, and we want to do this will because we know it pleases you. I have prayed in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody says, Amen. We pray for God to use the timeless truths in this lesson to meet you at a place of a specific need in your life. In Jesus' name, this is Chris Oram. We hope the Lord has already spoken to your heart and you have been encouraged. Until next time, goodbye.